Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Jessica is the co-founder of The Pioneers, a financial independence blog focused on the intersections between financial independence and lifestyle design. Through her writing, workshops, and coaching, she helps people discover work they truly are passionate about and design lives they love. In this episode, we talk about what is Coast Fi what life has been like for her after she's reached this milestone, as well as some of the things that may have slowed her down to reaching financial independence. Now, when you head over to the show notes, I've included lots of links there, not only to connect with Jessica, but also links to some of her blog posts that I feel like are really, really good to read to continue on this conversation. For example, the ultimate guide to Coast Fi, as well as how I went from making $11,000 to reaching Coast Fi in 10 years. These are all articles you can find at thefineers.com, but I've included them in the show notes for you for easy access, okay? Now, don't forget in the bonus round, Jess joins us and shares how to get rid of scarcity mindset and some of the things that she's learned along the way. To get access to that bonus episode, you have to head over to thoughtcard.com forward slash join to become a supporter of the show. All right, now let's dive into this chat with Jess. Hey, Financially Savvy Travelers. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Card Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. She is one of my favorite people on Twitter. And I'm again, I'm super excited to have Jessica from the Pioneers on the show today. And we're going to really be focusing on financial independence, introducing us to the concept of Coast Fi, and just to say that there's so much that we could talk about in this conversation that after this conversation, make sure you head over to her blog, thefioneers.com, because her blog is so thoughtful and you'll learn so much about yourself, about her journey, about other people. So I recommend after listening to this conversation, head over to thefioneers.com for more because there's only so much we could fit into an hour conversation. So welcome, Jessica. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to dig in. So I was saying before we actually started hitting record that this is kind of like a selfish, (laughs) a selfish episode because I admire everything that you do. And I recently, through your assistance, even though I don't think you know, but through your assistance, I figured out that I recently reached Coast Fi. And it wouldn't have been possible if I didn't see you talking about it and if you didn't have a calculator on your website. So again, which is why I feel like your website is such a great resource because you don't know what you don't know. And having a perspective, having like tools laid out for you are so, so, so important along your financial journey. So I wanted to start off by really talking about what is Coast 5? For people who are not aware of what that is, what would you say to someone who's like, what is Coast 5? 
Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of Coastify, I would describe it as you've gotten to a place where you no longer need to save for your traditional retirement, right? And so that means you've sort of front loaded your savings throughout your career thus far. And that number takes into account a number of different things, right? So it takes into account compound interest, And the time horizon that you have between the age that you are now and the age that you would like to traditionally retire, right? And so basically, that is how long the market has to do its work to grow your money for you. And so it's pretty amazing, right, if you think about it, because I think for me, like when growing up and sort of in my 20s, I always thought, oh, you just saved as much as you possibly could, and maybe you could retire someday, right? Like I never really understood that there was like numbers behind it and that financial independence or coast by and being able to like design your life was actually a thing. Like I always just thought like, oh, I'm going to work forever because that's what people do because you have to, right? And so it's pretty amazing to actually put the numbers into the calculation and I'll share the the link to the post with you that walks through the calculator. But for someone who's like the age of 35 and who wants to retire at 65, if they spend, let's say, $40,000 a year, depending on where you are in the country, that person only needs about $230,000 saved at the age of 35, right? To be considered Coast Fi. And if they spend $40,000, that $230,000 over the next 30 years will grow to be $1 million. And so I think that's the interesting thing about Coast Fi is that the number is actually quite a bit lower than I would have expected, sort of needing to have saved to be able to have a comfortable traditional retirement. And so the benefit of CoastFi is right a fewfold. So once you get to this point where you're like, great, I am set for my traditional retirement, you have a bunch of options then that you can choose from there, right? So one is you can keep saving, but when you keep saving, you know that every additional dollar you save is no longer for retirement. It's for early retirement. Or you can decide to completely scale back and you could choose to only cover your actual cost of living, right? And so for this person who's 35, who spends $40,000 a year, they could scale back and say, I'm only going to make $40,000 a year. And I can do that by doing this side hustle or by starting my own business or by working part time, right? And so it gives people a lot of different lifestyle options, or you can do a choice with, you know, where you're somewhere in the middle and that's that's what I'm doing is where you can say, great, like I don't want to push toward full financial independence as quickly as possible. But two, I don't feel the need yet to scale back to only cover my actual costs. So you can say, I'm going to use this feeling of freedom that CoastFi has given me to take my foot off the gas and to scale back and design your life along the way. Now, all of this is so powerful because literally while you were talking, I had visuals in my mind of, oh my gosh, like what life could be like now that I don't have this mindset of saving for retirement for the rest of my life. And I think maybe that for me, it comes from like, when I talked to my mom, 
she's been saving for retirement her entire career. So when I'm talking about retirement and thinking about the future, she's always inputting like, okay, did you save for retirement? But at this point, it's like, now that I've reached Coast Fi, like you mentioned, like you don't have to save exclusively only for retirement. There could be other things at play that you can now switch gears and focus on. So that is like a huge, huge, huge mindset for me, even though I read your article, but it's like listening to you, it's like, wow, like it really does click for me. So Jess, when did you discover financial independence and how did you know that this was something attainable for you? Because I'm sure there's people who are listening to us and saying, saving $200,000 sounds like a, a bear, right? Saving a million definitely sounds like a bear. So how did you discover FI and know that, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be something that I can actually attain? Yeah, great question. So Interestingly enough, I actually learned about it from my husband and he had known all about like Mr. Money Mustache and, you know, all of the sort of early financial independence bloggers. And so he sort of approached me on an annual basis when we were looking at our numbers, probably for like five to seven years before I actually got on board being like, can we save just 5% more per year? Like, can we just 5% more. And I was always like, oh, fine, whatever. Like, I want to spend money. I want to go places. I want to be able to, you know, travel and go out to eat sometimes. And, you know, and so for me, when I originally thought about financial independence, to me, it sounded like and felt like it would be deprivation. But the funny thing is, is all of this is going on in the background where my husband is managing our money because I'm, and I think we'll talk about this later, but dealing with this scarcity mindset where I don't want to have anything to do with the money that we have. Like, I don't even know how much money we have, anything. So he's just managing this. And then in 2017, he gives me a book called Your Money or Your Life, which was really transformational for me. At first, I was like, okay, fine, I'll read it. And he was like, I just want you to understand my perspective. Like, you don't need to like fully get on board. Like, I just want you to understand. And I read it and it was like, all of a sudden, a couple of things clicked, right? So it was one, like Vicki Robin, who wrote the book, was asking these questions. It's like, what would you do if you didn't need to work for income? And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even answer that question because my whole life had been like so focused on work and climbing the corporate ladder and being the feminist that was going to pull other women up after me. So that was like really the first question was like, gosh, I don't even know what I would do, but I'm not happy doing what I'm currently doing. Right. And then the second was really understanding the numbers of reaching financial independence and retirement generally. It was sort of until this point that I read that book that I was like, oh, everyone just saves as much as possible, hopes they can cover big expenses that come up and maybe they can retire someday. And actually putting numbers to it and seeing that there's like actually a formula to be able to say, this is what you need to be able to retire. And if you can get that number earlier, for me, that was just a like a really mind-blowing concept, but I wasn't ready to get on board, right? Because for me, 
financial independence still felt like it would be this deprivation. You know, so I understood his perspective, but I wasn't ready to say, like, I'm ready to cut back all of our spending and, you know, do X, Y, Z really quickly. So I read that book. And then about six months later, we started to like have more conversations and really get serious about pursuing financial independence. And then we took a trip actually to Maine in 2018. And we were like having these discussions. It's like, do we want to do this? Like, do we want to do this together? And we decided yes. And then within a week of us coming back from that trip, like my work got really bad. I started having really severe anxiety and panic attacks to the point where I could not work for six months, right? And so I took about six months off of work in 2018 on disability, eventually quit the job. And so when we had been talking about financial independence, you know, my husband was obviously already on board and I was like, I need to know that like, we are going to focus on the journey. Like it can't just be about the destination and getting to early retirement as quickly as possible. Like it needs to be about improving our lives all along the way. And we like came up with what our blog motto and really our like life's philosophy would be while we were on that vacation. It was that the journey should be as remarkable as the destination. And that philosophy was tested, right, within a week of returning from it. So pretty quickly, we realized like, oh, early retirement is not necessarily the goal, you know. And then I really dove into the numbers really for the first time, you know, and realized like, oh, this is what financial freedom is for, right? Financial freedom is not necessarily so I can like retire at the age of 40. Like financial freedom is so that if I'm in a toxic job that's causing me severe anxiety, that I can quit and I don't need to go back, right? And I can use my financial freedom for that. And then over time, I've realized that financial freedom, right, can be used for so many other things, right? So it's getting out of toxic situations. It's taking advantage of new opportunities. So moving into, you know, after I recovered from the severe anxiety episode, like deciding to go back to work part-time and start a blog and start a business on the side and really focus on things that brought me joy. To me, I've learned that like that's the point of FI is to be able to design a life that you love, not to get to early retirement and then maybe try to design a life you love at that point. Right. And I can imagine that there are people who have been going really, you know, headstrong. They reach financial independence at a young age and then they're like, now what? Right. Like that could be a shock. You're like, have all this free time now. And maybe it could be even isolating because you're the only person in your entire community and entire circle that is financially independent. Everyone else is working. I can imagine how like, you're like, what do I do now? Right. So I love that you're taking both approaches. Like, yes, you're working on reaching Phi. However, you're also thinking about how do I design my life so that 
I've arrived even before I've arrived, right? Like this is just how I am and how we live and true to our values. So I think that is so, so powerful. And another thing I think that's really powerful in your story is getting your partner on board. A lot of times when I'm listening to podcasts, like I hear the other side, like I was convincing my partner to get on board, right? But it's very rare you hear about the partner explaining how they got on board. So can you just tell us a little bit more about like how important is like coming together, especially if you're like married or if you have a life partner, how important is that to helping you both design the life that you love? Because I can imagine how difficult it is. One person's on board and the other person's kind of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I would say early on, I would imagine for my husband, it was a bit challenging that I didn't want to be involved. You know, and part of that came from sort of my upbringing and background of like, I had done a lot of volunteering. I had spent summers and semesters of college living in Central and South American countries, you know, and living in villages that like did not have running water, you know, and so being sort of exposed to situations that are very, very, very different than what we experience here in the United States and really feeling guilty about the level of like wealth and affluence, even when I was doing AmeriCorps and making $11,000 a year because I lived in a house that had running water. <laughs> right. And so it was a really sort of skewed perspective. And then when we started making more money, though, I like didn't want anything to do about it because I, you know, had this skewed perspective that being rich or wealthy would sort of like change a person and make them care less about equality and justice or also that that there was some sort of like virtue in not having money. Like I just always assumed that I would be poor and wanted to be, right? And so then when we started actually making money, I like did not know what to do with myself. And so it took me many years to really start working through that. I'm like so lucky to have a partner who managed our money well during that period, given the fact that I definitely would not have been able to. And so I think that was a big thing. And I imagine it was very frustrating for him, right? And so like I was generally always pretty frugal, but it was because I just assumed we didn't have money. And so it wasn't that I was like off spending a lot. It was interesting because then he would want to spend money and then I would be like, do we really need that? And he's like, we can afford it. And I was like, great, I'm trusting you because I don't actually know. And now I like cringe as like a feminist who writes about money. I cringe at like the way that I behaved in my 20s. And I think that the fact that we are now like on the same page and that I think the strategy that worked was the one that was like, let me connect with you where you are. Like for him to focus on connecting with me around, I just want you to understand here's where I'm coming from, you know, rather than like, we need to do this and this is what we're doing and blah, 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 you know, which is often what people get really excited and then they come to their partners and kind of scare people away sometimes. And once we both like got on the same page, 
things just like really accelerated. And I think for me, like I always wanted to design an extraordinary life, but it wasn't until I understood money that I was like able to actually make that happen. So yeah, I feel like that was a little bit all over the place answering the question, but I think that had we not gotten on the same page about money, we obviously would not be in the place where we are today and sort of experiencing the things that we are and the joy of being able to, you know, focus on building the life that we want. And, you know, I can totally relate because I just got married back in September and I am that person that would go to my husband and be like, I'm so excited about this thing, you know, and then he'll be like, whoa, <laughs> like, can we just like chill out for a second? But there's a lot of like patience at work, a lot of like compassion at play there, too, and conversations. Right. So at least for me, I'm I'm less thinking about like on board and more of like, hey, can we meet each other in the middle? Like you had mentioned, like, let's meet each other in the middle and design something together because I can have visions, but if my partner doesn't have the same vision, then it's kind of like, we're kind of two individual people. So it is very complicated, but it's very inspiring to hear, hear your perspective. Because again, we usually hear people convincing their partners, not the other way around. So I do really appreciate that. Now, interestingly enough, I feel like I'm in the place of convincing my spouse that we are at a place where we are able to like utilize more of the financial freedom that we have. And so it's in some ways it feels like the tables have turned a little bit, whereas like I'm ready to be like, great, we're coast by, we can take all of these steps back and we can only cover our cost of living and we could be location independent today and you could quit your job and, you know, all of that. And he's actually a little bit more risk averse than I am. And so that's a conversation that we're having and working through and figuring out like, what would the point be where like he would truly feel comfortable leaving his job and trusting in the numbers. Right. And I think that'll be within the next couple of years. Like I think he wants to make sure we sort of pad the stash a little bit more in case, you know, like, so we're coast fi, I think for like retiring at the age of like 60, around 60, I think. And so I think we want to sort of increase that number or decrease that, that sort of age down to in our fifties, just in case someone gets a disability and we're unable to work, right? There's many things that can happen. And so just to be safe and we're figuring out what that number is for us. Yes, 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 yes. Now I have a technical question for you because I'm actually in the COSFI calculator, which is beautifully laid out and very simple to understand. So one of the questions that I had when I was running the numbers is there is an annual passive cash flow number that you input. Can you explain what that is? What's the annual passive cash flow number in the formula and how that impacts your coast phi and phi numbers? So in terms of annual passive cash flow, that is like, say you have rental income or you have books such as yourself that you get a general like expected amount of income that you would get each year. 
And so that would be passive cash flow that would be coming in for you. So for example, like we often, we, we live in Boston near a train station. And so we rent out the second parking spot in our driveway, which is funny because you could never imagine doing that anywhere but a big city. But we rent it out for like $2,000 a month, right? And so that's $2,400 a year passive income. And so that then reduces our FI number and our coast FI number because $2,400 is something we will not need to pull from our investments, if that makes sense. So that basically, you find your FI number by multiplying your annual expenses by 25. But if you have passive cash flow, you can take your expenses right? You can subtract your cash flow and then multiply that number by 25. And then that gives you your fine number, right? And then the coast fine number is based on, on that calculation now with a different fine number if you know that you'll have passive cash flow. That makes a lot of sense. And by the way, you just like... Zoom pass that you make twenty four thousand dollars. Oh on no, an no, extra no, 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 twenty four hundred. I'm so sorry. It's twenty four hundred. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, how crazy I was, was like, that? Oh be my if gosh, twenty four thousand. No, it's twenty four hundred. I'm glad that you caught like, oh that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it is so, I don't live in a big city and I live far from a, a train station. So I was like, oh my gosh, I need to maybe find a rental property. I could do this. This is cool. Oh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it is certainly not that much. <laughs> but still, that is a very creative and that totally like explains to me what the annual passive cash flow means. So let's say even if you're not having passive income, but you do, let's say, have like a part-time gig or like, I know there's a term called barista fi. Does that also, it sounds like that, the income that you're getting every year will reduce how much you need at the end of the road. It would, if you know, you will have that income forever. Right. And so for like barista fi or things like that, I usually treat that a little bit differently than passive income. I still think of that as active income. So let's talk for a minute about milestones along the path to FI. So, so right, it isn't just you're either coast FI or you're FI, right? There's like plenty of milestones between those numbers as well. And so I think of that as the period where you could be semi-retired, which is where I would think barista FI would fall. And so after you've reached Coast Fi, and if you continue saving, right, you can get to a point where your portfolio would cover a portion of your expenses each year. And then you would need to cover then the other portion of your expenses with active income. Just as an example, I have actually a friend who I met at one of my local Fi meetups and we got to talking and she learned about Coast Fi and semi-retirement and she calculated her numbers and she was like, wow, I could be 100% Fi and quit my job in three years or I could generate $10,000 a year in active income and quit today. Then she realized she worked through the numbers and was like, I could make $10,000 walking dogs you know, she's done a lot of like data analysis for 
real estate and, you know, cause that, that was her career. So she's been exploring like opportunities to do like really small side projects, but like she just needs to generate $10,000 a year. So she could have stayed in her career to be like a hundred percent set and she could have stayed in it for three years longer. But she said, no, I, I want to take the leap and do a semi-retired lifestyle earlier because she realized that her portfolio would cover everything but that $10,000 a year that she would need in active income. You know, like it's unlikely that anyone is going to like look at their numbers and be like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that I'm at a place where I only need to generate $10,000 of active income, right? Like that's harder to imagine. But I think of it like I have a calculator also too that I look at and I think like, okay, I have a few milestones for myself. Like I want to know when I still need to generate $40,000 a year of active income, $30,000 a year of active income, $20,000, $10,000, right? Because then that gives me some more benchmarks too to say like if I wanted to scale back, like I could scale back even more. Because then I would only be like my portfolio could still grow because I'm only withdrawing 1% or 2%, right? Or something like that if I wanted to take a more semi-retired or barista-fi approach. And, you know, the moral for me, like the big overarching thing is knowing your numbers. Like knowing your numbers is so important. Like your friend she realized. And even for me, I'm like, oh, like you arrived and you're like, oh, I've been here for a little while now. I could have been living differently. Right. So I think knowing your numbers is is so, so, so important. Now, if you can paint a picture for what life is like for us now that you've reached Coast Fi, what are you doing? How are you thinking? And what's next for you? Yeah. So I worked part-time. So I worked three days a week in a nonprofit organization for about two years. And then in this past December, so of 2020, I actually quit my job because I started a business doing coaching on the side during the pandemic. So back in the spring of 2020. And When I originally started the business, I was like, oh, maybe it'll allow me to like live a semi-retired lifestyle in three or four years or something like that, right? Like maybe it would generate me the like 30K of active income that I needed. But within the sort of nine months of starting the business, it got to the point where the income that I generated in the first nine months of the business was equivalent to like half of my annual salary. And then when I projected what was likely in the coming year from even a really conservative to a sort of robust projection, like even the most conservative projection was covering more than my sort of previous salary. And so it made sense to say like, oh, this isn't something that is going to provide me with semi-retired active income in a few years. Like this is providing me with like coast by income now. Like it's providing me with enough to cover my actual expenses. And so for me, life looks really lovely. So I wake up every morning without an alarm. 
I run, I have four different, so I run group coaching. So I have four coaching groups that I work with and I meet with them either every two or every three weeks, depending on the program that they're in. And that's really the thing that's income generating for me. And then with the rest of my time, I focus on writing. Right now I'm focusing on a new course actually focused on overcoming scarcity mindset that will hopefully be coming out sort of later this spring. And then, yeah. And and now I feel like we're to a point where we're saying, okay, how much then does the business need to generate for my husband to feel comfortable, right? Quitting his job. And I think we've, we've talked about how it would be lovely to see. And I, and I think this is totally possible possible even this year or next year that the business would be covering our full expenses plus allowing us to save 20%. And that I think is a number that we're sort of toying with that would feel good for my husband to then be able to quit his job as well. Excellent. Excellent. No alarm clock is like, wow, that's me on the weekends only. So I can imagine like every day. No, and it's funny this, this past week, I... I don't know. Like, I think I was like fighting something off and I was waking up at like nine o'clock every day. I was like, this is so amazing. And then I would still get a ton of work done during the day, but it was pretty incredible. But it's the small things, right? The small things that you realize on the other side that you're like, wow, like this is independence. Like this is what it feels like and why it's so worth it to pursue that. Okay. Now I have another follow-up question about your business. So how did you come up with the idea? Because I feel like a lot of folks, especially during the pandemic, it's like a lot of us, we were pivoting. A lot of us were trying to find new side hustles. So how did you come up with this idea? And I'm confident that this also is in line with what your goals are and what you wanted to do. So just to help folks understand like how to find a passion project or a side hustle that can actually end up becoming something that they do on a full-time or semi-full-time basis. Yeah. So interestingly enough, in 2019, I went through like a lifestyle design process with a group where we did a lot of like self-reflection and then a lot of like really just like broad brainstorming and like big dream, big idea generation. And during that process, And I do a similar process now, right? Because my coaching is focused around exactly this because it was so transformational for me. But during that process, like toward the end, the culminating moment is like you make three completely different life plans, right? And one of those life plans is like the life that you plan that you're sort of like planning on what it would be moving forward. That's life one. Life two is like, imagine that thing is no longer an option. People don't need that anymore. It just doesn't exist what would you do instead? Right. And then life three is like, if money and status were no object, what would you do? And my life three was run coaching programs and retreats and courses related to lifestyle design to help people who are pursuing FI and feeling like they, you know, are getting to a point where they're like, why am I working so hard to reach early retirement when like, I don't like my life now. Right. And that was my life three. And I brought it to the group and I was like, this is a pie in the sky, like idea. I don't know. And they were all like, no, why can't you do it? You can absolutely do that. And I think that's part of the power of 
of a group and having people who are really in your corner and really encouraging you to dream big. Because when they started to then really take that idea seriously, I was like, oh, I can take this idea totally seriously, right? And then I started to experiment with different things to see if I would enjoy it. And then actually like ran, you know, and then launched the, worked with a coach and then I launched the program last spring. You know, it's interesting because for me, like my goal for it wasn't necessarily that it was going to like become a full-time job. If that makes sense, like my goal was like, this is something I would love to do. And if I make money, great. If I don't make money, that's fine because I'm doing something that I love to do and it's still worth doing, right? And sometimes I see people who, I actually see many people who start something just because it's something that they love doing and then it becomes something bigger. But it's hard to know whether those things are actually going to turn into larger like income generating things or if it will just stay as a side hustle. But for me, I think that's okay if it's something you love doing anyway. Yeah, I'm like nodding my head over here because I can totally relate. Like I'm approaching my sixth year of blogging in April and when I started, it was just me sharing my thoughts. Like I would have never thought that it would have led to a podcast, freelance writing, community building and income streams that I didn't didn't even know existed at the time. So there's a bit of like, you have to try and see and also be non-committal too. Like you're not like, if this doesn't work, I'm scrapping it. And like, you know, you're so emotionally attached to the outcome. I see a lot of people who are successful by not being emotionally attached in the beginning. And then you'll be pleasantly surprised to see, you know what, like, hey, this is actually something that I can actually do. Agreed. Well, and I think like you see all the statistics that are like whatever percentage of businesses fail, but it's like there was also more research that was done. Things that were started like for fun as a side hustle are actually way more likely to be successful than businesses where people are like really invested in the outcome and they get financing and, you know, have investors and all of that. Like those are the kinds of businesses that fail because people aren't experimenting and aren't like figuring out what kinds of things that they would want to do right along the way and just testing stuff and seeing what happens. It's like those are the businesses that more often don't fail because it's a more iterative approach. Exactly, exactly. And I know a lot of us, like our full-time income is helping to grow our side hustle to the point where, you know, down the road, like eventually you don't need that full-time income anymore because your side hustle has taken over, right? So It also ties into your approach, like enjoy the journey, right? Enjoy the journey to get to your destination, which I think is very, very powerful. All right. So we're going to be wrapping up very shortly, but I had one final question for you before we head over to the bonus round. So if you could go back and tell your younger self, like what are the things that you think slow down your path to Coast Fi? And you would say, hey, avoid that. That's a roadblock. Don't do that. 
Yeah. So the one most important thing I would tell myself is to avoid avoiding money and not wanting to have anything to do with it. I think for me, I needed to really like work through that sort of guilt and just see money as it actually is, right? Like it's an exchange and it's something that can provide you with freedom and it sort of amplifies who you already are rather than making you into someone different. And if I had learned that earlier, I think the trajectory of my life could have been different, right? And it's great now, but I think that there's a lot of sort of pain that I went through in my 20s, in my early 30s, because I didn't engage. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very powerful. And again, goes back to knowing your numbers, not being afraid, you know, just it's the reality, right? It's the reality of our situations that I think sometimes scares us, even like looking at your bank account. I remember there were times that I would be really like just nervous to go to the ATM because I didn't want to see the numbers. But there's something powerful being on the other side when you're, you know what you're doing, you know your plan, you know your vision, and you can move forward with that. So I do really appreciate that. Okay, Financial Savvy Travelers, this was an amazing conversation with Jess. Before we wrap up, I wanted to just encourage you to become a supporter of the Thought Card Podcast because every episode we have with a guest, we have a bonus round where they share additional tips. And in this bonus round, Jess will be sharing how to get rid or I would say how to lessen. <laughs> it might be hard to get rid of scarcity mindset, but how to lessen the impact of having a scarcity mindset and also some out-of-the-box ideas for increasing your savings rate. So be sure to head over to the show notes, grab the link to join us over in Buy Me a Coffee. And yeah, you'll be able to access these additional bonus episodes. So Jess, thank you so much again for being a special guest. I learned, we actually digged into the formula. Like I was, I had a question about the formula. So I really appreciated that you came today and shared your story, shared perspectives and answered some more technical questions as well. So please let everyone know how they can connect with you. And if you have any upcoming projects and also about your coaching business too. So I would love to hear more. People can find me at my website. It's thefioneers.com. And then I'm also on social. So Twitter and Instagram at the Fioneers. And then I run a private Facebook group called SloFi Enthusiasts. So for people who are interested in designing their lives along their path to Fi. And you can find that actually we have a, a short link for that, which is just thefioneers.com slash FB for Facebook. And then for, I do run coaching programs. So I have group coaching programs that work through a lifestyle, a full lifestyle design process with people. And then people are able to build, you know, a strong community similar to what I had in 2019 when I was coming up with my big ideas and my community was saying like, well, why can't you do that? So that's the really the reason why I do group coaching is to build that up. If you want to learn more about that on my website, you'll see that there is a drop down for lifestyle coaching. I'm not currently enrolling. I enroll three times a year. But if you, you know, are interested, you can get on the wait list. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Jess, for being here. Super inspiring. And yeah, I'll touch base with you in the bonus round. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. 
hope you enjoyed this episode, but don't forget there's way more where that came from. When you become a supporter of the show, you'll get bonus episodes, additional tips on affording travel, real-time updates, as well as strategies for building wealth and creating multiple income streams. Head over to thoughtcard.com forward slash join to support. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm at the Danielle Desir. Slide in my DMs and share with me your thoughts about this episode. What did you enjoy? What stood out to you? Let me know. I'd absolutely love to connect with you outside of the podcast. See you in the next one.